and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Knight. And so the show, we're talking about debt-to-income ratios. Well, surprise, surprise, we just did an episode on debt-to-income ratio predictions last week, and the Reserve Bank comes out and says, hey, look, we're going to bring them in. Here's the consultation paper. So we're going to dive through some of the details today. This is going to be our first reaction. Next week, we'll probably do about three episodes diving really deep into what it means. Look at it in a lot more detail. But today we're going to give you our first reactions with what the Reserve Bank is proposing. Now, Andrew, just remind us what the DTIs are for any new listeners. Okay, so really simply, they tie the amount of debt that you can have, total debt, so everything, your mortgage, your credit cards, your personal loans, your student loans, they tie that to the amount of money that you earn. And they've suggested that they'll bring in limits as follows. So if you're looking for an owner-occupied mortgage or loan, six times your income. If you're looking for an investment loan, seven times your income. So simple numbers, if you earn 100k at the moment and you're an owner-occupier and you don't have any investment properties, the maximum you can borrow is six times your income. So six times 100,000, the maximum borrowing you can have is 600,000. You still have to meet affordability criteria, that's just the maximum. So a lot of the banks will still say, well, can you actually afford it even if interest rates went up? This is an additional test compared to what's happened in the past. Yep. Now, if you're going to go and buy an investment property, the maximum lending you can get is seven times your income. So in this case, it's 700000 But of course, remember, there'd be rental income as well. But what you need to know is it's actually not just if you're buying an investment property or if you're buying an owner-occupier, it's actually whether you own investment properties or not. So let's say I'm about to go and try and buy my own house, right? But I own investment properties. It's not six times my income, it's seven times my income because I'm an investor. So it's all about whether you're an investor or whether you're an owner-occupier. And you might say, well, how come investors get better rules? How come investors can have a higher debt-to-income ratio? It's because the Reserve Bank went away and they did some modelling and said, well, at what level of debt-to-income do owner-occupiers start struggling? And at what level do investors start struggling? And they realised that because investors get rental income, a smaller proportion of investors' income is needed to pay for their lifestyle costs, right? So more of your income can go towards paying debt. So that's the reason why investors have a slightly higher debt-to-income ratio. It's not because they're trying to encourage investors to buy more than owner-occupiers. It's just the numbers work out that investors can actually afford a higher level of debt-to-income. But Andrew, there are also changes to the LVR restrictions. This is really interesting. So more people can borrow with lower deposits. Yeah, so there are two changes. So owner-occupiers and first-time buyers first. So the deposit for an owner-occupier and a first-time buyer stays the same, so 20%. But the speed limits are changing. So you remember that there's always a portion that the bank's allowed to lend outside of that. So the banks can have discretion to say, hey, look, normally it's 20%, but we're going to lend you 90% because you're a really good client, you've got really high income. Now, at the moment, that's 15%, but the Reserve Bank are proposing to change that to 20% for each bank. So that means that if you have got a lower deposit, there's a better chance that the bank might go outside of those rules. Yeah, so you'll see more first home buyers, more owner-occupiers being able to borrow with a 10% deposit. Other big changes for investors. So investors currently need a 35% deposit. That's going to go down to a 30% deposit. And that is going to have some pretty cool changes for you guys because it's not just saying, well, if I want to buy a million dollar investment property, 
instead of needing a 350k deposit, now it's $300,000, there are some big impacts if you're already an investor. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. Let's say, Andrew, you currently own a million dollar property with a $550,000 mortgage on it. Right now, you can borrow up to 650k against this investment property because it's a 65% LVR. You can borrow currently up to 100k against that property, right? If you take that 100k and say, I'm going to borrow against my investment property to go and buy another one, you can't do much right now. So that 100k, if you use that as a 35% deposit, your next investment property will be worth $287,000. And that's if you want to go and buy an existing property rather than a new build. Now, under the new rules, you get a bit of a double whammy. First of all, you can borrow more against that investment property. Rather than borrowing only 100k against it as a deposit, now you can get 150k out of it. Well, that's good. You've got a bigger deposit. But also, that deposit goes further. Because now it's no longer a 35% deposit, it's a 30% deposit. So now you can buy an existing investment property worth 500k. Oh, that makes a big difference getting two bites of the cherry. Yeah, so in this case, you might think, oh, well, it's not that much of a difference. Well, it makes a big difference if you own a couple of investment properties and have for a while. This specific investor would go from being able to buy their next investment property worth 287k, and that's now gone up to 500k, a 75% increase. So if you're out there doing a renovations-based strategy or you want to invest in existing properties, there could be some pretty significant changes under these LVR restrictions. And a lot of investors are going to be thinking, well, what about new builds? Now, the great news for any new build investors is new builds are going to be exempt under these debt-to-income ratio rules. So the bank's still going to assess your mortgage application as it does at the moment. So they're going to make sure that your affordability still meets their criteria but they're not going to overlay that with debt-to-income ratio rules. So basically, at the moment, you've got to make sure you've got enough deposit and you've got to make sure you've got enough income to pay the mortgage, right? And really, what the debt-to-income ratio rules do is they add in that third step, that third check saying, okay, well, even if you could afford the mortgage, even if you've got enough deposit, is your debt less than six or seven times your total income? So it's about that extra test coming in. The interesting thing here is some investors who maybe are previously uh, existing property investors or renovations-focused investors, they might find that the bank won't lend them to buy any more of these properties. They don't meet the debt-to-income ratio rules, but the bank might lend them for a new bill because of the exemption. And so you might see a change in behavior there and people going to new builds because, hey, let's face it, even if I'm a renovations investor predominantly, it's better to have a new build than nothing at all. Yeah, not every investor will make that decision, but you can certainly imagine some deciding to make the switch because of that. Now, you might also wonder, well, are these currently in? When do these all come in? So they're not in at the moment. The earliest they're going to come in, they're saying mid-2024. So at the moment, this is for consultation. And what tends to happen with the Reserve Bank's consultations is they say, these are the rules we think we're going to bring in. And they pretty much always stay that way. <laughs> but what banks will do is they'll make submissions for technical changes. So I remember the last time there was consultation, BNZ came out saying, hey, look, we don't think that student loans should be included in terms of total debt. 
we think that student loan repayments should come off their income because that's the way student loans are calculated. The Reserve Bank said, that's really interesting, but no, we're going to keep doing it the way we want to do it. So <laughs> must be nice just to be able to put out your consultation and then just do whatever you want anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly say that. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is even though this is out for consultation, I wouldn't expect the six times number or the seven times number to change. I would expect it to be technical definitions around how it is implemented. The banks have about six months transition time to get across, whether that's extended, whether it comes down. It's those technical aspects that are more likely to change rather than what the setting itself is. And a lot of you guys will be wanting to know, what is the impact on the property market? And I'm expecting that in the short term, at least, it's going to have a positive impact. It's going to help property prices recover faster. Now, you might think, well, that's very strange. We're bringing in new rules. How's it going to help the property market recover faster and house prices to go up faster? And it's because the debt-to-income ratios at the moment would have no impact whatsoever, right? They've got these speed limits where banks can lend up to 20% of their lending outside of these rules. And right now, only about 10% of their lending is outside of these rules. And that's because interest rates and test rates are so high that the ability to lend at this kind of level would actually be higher than what is realistic on today's interest rates. Yeah, so it's interest rates that are slowing down people's ability to borrow more than the debt-to-income ratios. Now, as interest rates eventually come down, the opposite will happen. Interest rates will stop constraining how much you can borrow, and it's going to be the debt-to-income ratios instead. So right now, in the short term, the debt-to-income ratios aren't going to have that much of an impact. The positive impact is going to come from the LVR restrictions easing, which we've already mentioned. So that's where, almost counterintuitively, in the short term, this is going to have a positive impact on the property market. Over the long term, it might start to constrain things. But there is a big assumption in that, which is that bank behaviour won't change. And I know that you were a mortgage broker back when the LVR restrictions first came in. So just wind us back to 2013. How did the banks react and what happened back then? So I think the, the biggest thing that you see is when all these new rules come in and banks know that the Reserve Bank is taking much more of a keen interest in how they're actually lending, banks inevitably get more cautious. And so that will probably happen again. And there'll be this period of time, six to 12 months, where banks really kind of find their feet with how these rules are applied. You don't want to fall foul of the Reserve Bank because you lose your banking license. Like, that's pretty serious. So they will be cautious not to step outside of the guidelines. Okay, so there might be a six to 12 month period where the banks are a little more cautious. I remember there was the main thing that the Reserve Bank did in that time because there was exemptions like the dollar for dollar refinance and, and those kind of things where the Reserve Bank said you have to act within the spirit of the code. So don't use these exemptions to manipulate what we're trying to achieve, which is a calling of the market. So again, that will happen again. So they don't want mortgage brokers and banks to get tricky with how they get things across the line by manipulating the numbers a little bit. Yeah, I'd expect there'd be less of that initially because these rules won't actually constrain the market. But Correct. in the documents, what the Reserve Bank is saying they're going to look out for are non-bank lenders because non-bank lenders do not have to comply with the debt-to-income restrictions that are coming in. And when they've put out their consultation document just yesterday, they were saying, one thing we're going to look out for are non-bank lenders. Do people say, well, bugger this, I'm just going to go to a non-bank lender instead. And if we see them taking up a lot more market share and people using non-bank lenders to get around these rules, 
that's when they're going to start to step in. They don't think it's a massive risk. They said, hey, we think this could happen. If we see a massive change, we'll step in. If not, we're probably not going to worry about it. Last question before we dig into the details next week. Is capital growth dead? What's your first reaction? No, there'll always be inflation. There'll always be upward pressure on the housing market from different factors other than just finance. I think that realistically, you want to expect a lower growth rate than some of the obscene numbers that we've had, the you know, 10, 15% in a year, more like 5 or 6%. That's my prediction. And what this rule really does is it ties the maximum amount of lending to income growth, which is about 4% every year. And so you might say to me, okay, Ed, does that mean capital growth or house price increases will only be 4% a year? And what I'd say to that is the maximum amount of lending will increase at 4% per year. But here's the thing. There are a lot of parts in New Zealand where if you buy the average house with an 80% mortgage, you're well below that DTI limit. So right now in Auckland, if you buy the average house on the average income and get an 80% mortgage, your DTI is only about 5.5 times. In Wellington, it's under 5. In Christchurch, I think it's hovering around a 5. In my old stomping ground of South Taranaki, it's about 3.5 times. So there's still quite a lot of headway if you're on the average income buying the average house. It'll restrict people in some situations, but it would surprise you how many Kiwis are in a really, really strong debt-to-income position. In fact, if you average it out across the whole of New Zealand, what do you think the average DTI is, Andrew? Three times. 1.8. 1.8? I thought three was bold. Nah, 1.8. And the reason is that a third of New Zealand households don't have a mortgage, right? If you take those out? If you take those out, it comes up to around about three times. Okay, so I was right. But my, no, you weren't right because I said <laughs> I asked you what the average is. So if you take if you take the average amount of debt divided by the average income, it's, it's actually quite low. There is a massive ability to lend out there. The question is whether people want to do that. We're going to do a series of three or four episodes next week diving into the details of this. And our upcoming webinar in February, I've just changed the topic. We're going to talk about debt-to-income ratios because that's what everybody's going to be interested. So look out for that over the next couple of weeks. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the Zealand property market. Until next time, 